This message comes from NPR sponsor, Acorn TV. Acorn TV is brilliant television told brilliantly. From charmingly cozy mysteries to daringly dark dramas. Visit acorn.tv for a 30-day free trial with promo code NPR. Acorn TV. Brilliant. In the extremely divisive film Bo is Afraid, Joaquin Phoenix stars as a schlubby, anxiety-ridden middle-aged man whose existence is an extended nightmare of guilt, shame, dread, and paranoia. It's the latest film from writer and director Ari Aster, and it follows Bo as he attempts to visit his mother, only to get repeatedly frustrated by a series of deeply disturbing obstacles that may be real or may be entirely of his own making. I'm Glenn Weldon, and today we're talking about Bo is Afraid on Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. Joining me today is NPR producer Mallory Yu. Hey, Mallory. Hey, Glenn. Hey. Also joining us is Weekend Edition producer Danny Hensel. Hey, Danny. Hey there. And rounding out the panel is Switched on Pop producer Rihanna Cruz. Welcome back, Rihanna. Howdy. All right. Let's talk about this film that is going to be so fun to talk about. (laughs) So Bo is Afraid is the title. It's also the understatement of the damn year. Joaquin Phoenix plays Bo, who isn't just afraid. He's racked with paralyzing feelings of guilt. And those feelings render him docile, inarticulate, and paranoid. They also distort his view of the world around him. We know that because writer and director Ari Aster, whose previous films were hereditary and midsummer, show us Bo's world as he sees it and as he feels it. And Bo's world? It sucks. His downtown neighborhood is a hellscape, and he has a fraught relationship with his mother, Mona. She's played in flashbacks by Zoe Lister-Jones and by Patti LuPone in the present day. The film also stars Nathan Lane and Amy Ryan as a kindly couple who seem to want to help him get to his mother, but their motivations are shady. And their daughter, played by Kylie Rogers, absolutely hates him, as do most people he comes across. Audiences who come to Bo is Afraid looking for a more conventional horror movie may balk at this three-hour-long, navel-gazing, extended anxiety dream. And there have been social media reports of audiences reacting with anger, but that's what makes it so fun and so difficult to talk about. Bo is Afraid is in theaters now, so here's what we're going to do. First, we'll go around the table and get some general thoughts and reactions. Then we'll take a little break and get into it. Plot details and spoilers. And we will talk about... The ending. We'll flag that break very clearly so you know what's coming. Danny, let's start with you. What'd you think of the movie? Well, uh... In a word. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Intrigued? No, I I am sort of of two minds about this movie. I mean, I first found it very funny, and I think when it tries to be funny, it's extremely funny. It's pleasantly beguiling and mysterious. I didn't really feel its length at all. I was actually surprised when it ended. I thought there was like another hour left to go. Mm-hmm. And I think it's really insightful about the nature of anxiety and timeless things that we can be anxious about and have a panic attack over. But like uh, I kind of felt with other Ari Aster movies, it kind of just at the end felt empty to me. Like at the end, you almost think this is three hours of you know this kind of crazy maximalism to say what? Like, I feel like the end result is that Job had a Jewish mother. Like, <laughs> you know, I, I, I just feel like these aren't, real people and they're they're sort of like chess pieces that Aster is sort of playing with but for whatever reason this one just didn't quite stick the landing for me. Yeah, didn't quite stick the landing is kind of an Ari Aster 
leitmotif, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Mallory, what'd you think? Yeah, so I'm also pretty ambivalent about this movie, is what I would say. I like Ari Aster as a director, and I think he takes, you know, a huge bite with this movie. I'm not really sure that he could really chew everything he bit off in this. <laughs> And maybe this is as annoyingly indecisive as Bo is throughout the whole movie, but I liked it until I didn't. Um, It worked until it didn't. Mm -hmm. It's a little too, too, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Like, it's a little too meandering. It's a little too long. But I don't necessarily know if that means that I dislike it. It didn't Mm -hmm. really take away from my being able to kind of get into Bo's journey and follow this horrible journey along. And I think that, you know, if you're a fan of Ari Aster's work already, it's an interesting watch and it signals a growth in this director and I think as a storyteller that I found really interesting. Whether you think that's growth in a good direction or a bad direction is totally subjective and I think is where, you know, people are going to be really divisive. I will say I did like the production design and the cinematography a lot. And there is a reveal toward the end of the movie that is as absurd on the nose and over the top as the reveal at the end of Sorry to Bother You. You know, it's the kind of thing that made me and everyone around me laugh and also whisper, what the heck, are you serious right now? Mm -hmm. I found it really funny when it was trying to be funny and didn't quite coalesce at the end the way that I was really hoping to. And I almost feel like that's the point. Mm -hmm. It's supposed to feel sort of pointless. This three-hour journey is kind of supposed to feel like you don't win or you don't know who's won at the end. And I think going into it expecting a weird time that's going to make you feel a little bit confused and a lot horrible in the best way is kind of the best way to approach this. Oh, that makes sense. You know, a lot of the press around this is like, it's a modern day odyssey. It's like, well, (laughs) if Odysseus was Oedipus, then maybe, but he's not. (laughs) All right, Rihanna, we're all kind of coming in the same place. Are you coming in the same place? Uh, I think so. I feel like Bo is Afraid is a fascinating movie. Mm -hmm. I also like Ari Aster, and I feel like it's more of a case study of Ari Aster Mm -hmm. than like a functioning movie designed to sell tickets. (laughs) Um, And that probably (laughs) results into people going to the theater and being baffled at what they're seeing because they're probably expecting something on par with Hereditary and Midsommar. And I'm part victim to that. I went and I was like immediately caught off guard by the comedy elements of it all and how meandering it is and how scary it it's not it's not scary but it manifests in a different way through the anxieties throughout the movie it also feels like nobody was supposed to see it i feel like ari aster made this and then kind of like Mm -hmm. was like okay this is for me (laughs) and nobody else yep But A24 was like, all right, we're going to put this in theaters. Like, it's weird. It creates a a weird disconnect. Um, I enjoyed the performances. Patti LuPone and Nathan Lane are incredible. And I think it definitely functioned the way that it was supposed to as, like, in my eyes, a manifestation of anxiety. However, I think I skewed towards not liking it for, you know, a few reasons. The length got me. It felt very tedious at times. The tone kind of gave me pause. 
I didn't take the comedic elements at face value. And, you know, right when it started to like strike a nerve and I would get like scared or alarmed, it pedaled back with something like trivial in my eyes. Mm -hmm. And it left me with an interesting movie going experience. (laughs) I love that. I love that. (laughs) This movie was very funny. I thought the flow of it, the dream logic of it, like when your brain starts randomly offering you up like situation that fills you with dread. And then at some point your higher brain uh, flails around and tries to pull something from your life experience to try to impose some kind of story, some kind of narrative over it, which is why, your own dreams are fascinating to you, but everybody else's dreams are boring. And that's what this <laughs> perfectly captured here. This is a fever dream. This is a compounding of anxiety. It's this one dude just catastrophizing, right? Imagining the worst thing that could happen and having it happen. Someone stole your keys and your apartment gets invaded. You're outside on the fire escape looking in on them as they're trashing your apartment. Oh, and also, by the way, there's a brown recluse spider on the loose. That is all very funny. I don't think the form works particularly well when it gets away from that. Just like it doesn't work when your brain tries to impose some kind of narrative through line through images that only have an emotional through line, right? Mm -hmm. The only thing these disparate events share is that you feel the same way about them. We do get a comically overcomplicated explanation for what's happening to Bo toward the end of the film, which we'll talk about. I had to put up with that because that's how dreams work. And I'm really glad the actor involved in that explanation gets a chance to chew through the monologue that they chew through, (laughs) they do a great job. But as much as I was loving that as it was happening, I felt like it was working against everything else in the movie, which is so intuitive and emotional Mm -hmm. and imagistic. Because there are moments in this film where it's not fighting itself like that. The fact that this 40-something dude who lives on his own keeps referring to his mother's house as home. That is very intentional. That is wonderfully kind of thematic. It all ties in. It comes back later in a very funny line. And it's one of my favorite things about the movie because it's something that could be true objectively and also emotionally. It's when those two things are working together in, in like tandem, where in much of the movie, I just felt that those two worlds were kind of fighting each other. The movie that I kept thinking about was Eyes Wide Shut, mm-hmm. which is a movie that is also very much um, a fever dream of a sense. But that's a movie that I adore, that I feel like I was with the entire time. But was Afraid to me seems almost mean-spirited and prescriptive. Like, I have a very literal explanation for why I feel this way, why this is all happening. Whereas I feel like a movie like Eyes Wide Shut is more open to the possibilities of life. It's more grounded in reality, even if it has a ton of surreality baked into it. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that combination, that balance works a lot better than the sort of like wild oscillation between total fantasy and hard grounded, although kind of unbelievable reality. I mean, the film I was reminded of most was Mother! Exclamation (laughs) point. I like this film so much more because Mother was just this very rigid allegory dressed up in a lot of dreamlike execution. This is the opposite. This is a dream with a kind of structure imposed upon it. This feels a lot more organic and less contrived and less overdetermined than Mother did. Mm -hmm. That's funny because I feel like the opposite. I enjoyed Mother a lot more than I enjoyed Bo is Afraid because Bo is Afraid felt very nebulous to me. And it was hard to trace the different metaphors that were happening. But the themes in Bo is Afraid, I kind of picked up on here and there. And I was like, oh, this is a Jesus allegory, right? Mm -hmm. And it kind of lost the thread for me as the movie went on and progressed. And maybe I was off, but I think like that sort of nebulous thematic elements is something that didn't really connect with me 
in a way that if the movie was more direct and transparent with its themes, it would have. Well, I have seen people online trying to treat this film as a puzzle box to parse out the bits of it that are objectively true and what's in his head. Like, do not do that. No. It doesn't matter. Don't do that. <laughs> you are a raccoon. This is cotton candy. Do not get it wet. You won't like what happens. It's a waste of effort. It's a waste of time. You're just going to get dashed against the rocks of this movie's weirdness. Let the weirdness stand, I say. All movies are dreams. Exactly. Yeah, just go along with it. Mm. The excess is the point. I mean, that opening act set in that kind of hilariously vicious road warrior hellscape of urban decay. I mean, <laughs> to a Fox News viewer, that's going to play like a documentary. <laughs> but everyone else is going to know what's going on, right? I Loved it. Loved it. I spent that whole part of the movie with my shoulders up to my ears because I just felt so intensely uncomfortable. I felt his anxiety and his paranoia in that. Like, I do struggle with anxiety, and it does sometimes feel like everyone on the street is staring at you specifically, and they're targeting you, and every interaction that you have, even a simple one at the drugstore, is unpleasant and skin-crawling and panic-inducing. And I think that's where Ari Aster Mm -hmm. works the best when he's like, he's just trying to make your skin crawl. (laughs) He really got me there. Yeah, I would agree that nothing in this movie is particularly scary, but... There's so many specific moments that I feel like tap into something that is a deep fear of people just like giving you a look or later in the movie when he's living with a teenager. And, you know, Glenn, I disagree. I don't think the teenager hates him. I think he's just terrified of, you know, someone who's not an open book that he has to read further into. Good point. Yeah, I was not like jumping in my seat, but later that night I was like, oh, my God, that's something that really does terrify me. Truly. (laughs) We're going to take a beat now, and when we come back, we're going to get into some pretty specific plot details and spoilers. And So this is your moment. Don't say we didn't warn you. If you haven't seen this movie and don't want to get spoiled, head now toward your nearest exit, which, remember, may be behind you. Moms know the ups and downs of life. It's what makes them great subjects for books. This is one of the things that fiction can do, right? It can give us a window into the battles that each person is waging or facing, but it doesn't mean that we condone her actions this week on npr's book of the day podcast we are discussing books centering mothers so call your mom then tune into the book of the day podcast from npr the npr app cuts through the noise bringing you local national and global coverage no paywalls no profits no nonsense download it in your app store today There are a lot of issues on voters' minds right now. Six big ones could help decide the election. Guns, reproductive rights, immigration, the economy, health care, and the wars overseas. On the Consider This podcast from NPR, we will unpack the debates on these issues and what's at stake. You can listen to NPR's Consider This wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get into it. Um, here's, uh, well, I mean, this all, this movie all seems to be taking place inside Bo's mind. Uh, but there is, believe it or not, an overarching plot underneath it all that the movie sort of asserts. I mean, here's here's what I think the movie's reality is ostensibly, right? The trigger of this story is Bo's inability to visit his mother as he'd planned. And his very rich and powerful mom is so incensed by this that she fakes her death and gets her employees to put him through a series of trials, (laughs) filming him all the while to get him to admit how he's failed her as a son. And while she's told him all his life that his father died in the act that conceived him, this was a lie meant to keep him from being with any woman besides her. His father is in fact alive, though trapped in his mother's attic with Bo's feral forgotten twin, Bo's dad 
is a giant penis monster. And then there's Parker Posey, who plays Elaine. She's Bo's long-lost childhood crush, for whom he's carried a torch for decades. They are reunited at his mother's house, only for her to die suddenly, mere seconds after they finally consummate their relationship to the strains of the best Mariah Carey needle drop in recorded history. There's also an extended sequence in this film in which Bo seems to find refuge in art, specifically in a play put on by a traveling theater troupe. We are meant to see this, I think, as Ari Aster suggesting that art, making films perhaps, has the power to heal even someone as damaged as Bo, but then he pulls that rug out from underneath us too. (laughs) The film ends when Bo kills his mother and is put on trial for his crimes against her, which include giving her less than impressive birthday gifts. He dies, and the audience for his trial starts filing out over the closing credits in much the way the audience of Bo is Afraid is doing at the same time. (laughs) Obviously, this movie is meant to unsettle, to disturb, to annoy, but it's difficult to talk about without dealing with it as a whole, including that ending. Those endings, all six of those endings. So, Rihanna, can I start with you? Let's get into it. As a whole, spoilers abound. What'd you think? With the spoilers in mind, I do stand by the fact that it feels like a case study of Ari Aster, especially with the play section being described by you, Glenn, as um, it may be standing for art, Mm -hmm. like saving us from our own anxieties and seeing our troubles reflected on stage. Like, I think there's a lot of really personal elements in the movie mm-hmm. and whether or not those are successful. Like I, I don't know if that landed with me the way that <laughs> the movie wanted it to, but I think that meandering sort of, you know, like you said, six different endings plot ending with, you know, Richard kind, you know, ruling over Yay, Richard kind yeah, ending with, uh, you know, the trial of Bo for his sins. It evoked Truman show like sure. comparisons for me. And that's a movie that, you know, I, I love, oh, yeah. but I think that Bo is afraid sort of pales in comparison to that because of how meandering it is. And honestly, over the course of this conversation, like I'm realizing that maybe I misinterpreted the movie where it is supposed to be like a dream and it's supposed to not really make sense and everything is supposed to sort of flow in and out as Bo goes on this odyssey. And I think the movie is successful in doing that because I left confused. But (laughs) was it for me? No. (laughs) (laughs) When you bring up The Truman Show, that was something that I also immediately picked up. When I was watching Bo is Afraid and we get to the section where Mona reveals that everything in Bo's life up to this point has been calculated and staged by her, that the love of his life that he has waited for was her employee and that his therapist was her employee. I wished that we had gotten a little bit more of how disorienting that would be for someone like Bo to realize. You know, we see Bo start to panic, like, what, what, what? But he doesn't really react or respond any differently than he does in any other part of the movie to any other revelation. So it sets up that comparison. And then, Rihanna, like you say, I think it pales in comparison because we never really get the full emotional picture of what that would do to a person or what that could do to a person. I think it's a lot of those just wild turns that don't quite land. I think my take is that I sort of understand why the father is a giant penis monster, Mm -hmm. why Mona has to explain why she's doing all these things. 
it ends up being like the least interesting option. It feels like a very first idea, best idea approach. Agreed. Can we talk about living God on Earth, Parker Posey? Yeah, of course. Yes. Of course we can. When she appears for the first time in person, which is towards the back end, I just thought, A, I love Parker Posey. One of the great idols of my life. But B, like, can she star in five movies right now? Every choice she makes is always the most interesting, intuitive, and surprising choice. And she's funny. Mm -hmm. She's dramatic. Yeah. She's amazing. Mm -hmm. Parker. She comes in like a breath of fresh air. Through the whole movie, there were points where it would start to lose me. And then we would dive into an animation sequence that I just found beautiful if mm -hmm. indulgent and meandering. <laughs> or Parker Posey shows up and takes this movie in a completely different turn. I was not expecting... <laughs> the way her character ends up. That's safe to say, yeah. <laughs> I liked the way it ended with the trial and sort of almost anticlimactically where you're like, wait, is this really the end of the movie? Because it's sort of reminded me of being in a packed midnight showing of Inception when that screen first cuts out on the top. The audience just sort of rumbles like, what the heck just happened? That's the way this movie is going to end. And that's kind of how I felt you want there to be a point, right? You want to sit through this whole movie, this torturous journey of Bose, and you want him to, like, learn something or figure out a way to be free from his mom. But there isn't a point because sometimes life is just like this. <laughs> you know, is life just going to be awful? And yeah. it also kind of reminded me of some religious trauma that I have being raised evangelical, the idea of like getting to heaven's gates and being judged on all of your sins and the worst, pettiest thoughts that you've ever had like displayed in front of you was kind of one of my worst fears as a kid. It's a horrible way to live. And so when we got to that point, I was like, wow, this is sort of like you've delved into my psyche and I don't like it. <laughs> Let's give Ari Aster uh, some props for A, uh, casting, mm -hmm. and B, writing for his actors. As soon as I heard Richard Kind's voice on that phone, I was like, oh, this is going to be good. I hope he turns <laughs> up. As soon as I heard Patty LuPone's oh, yeah. voice on that home, I'm like, what is she going to do? And man, oh, yeah. I will say also, we mentioned the I word, the indulgent word. Any work that exists in a vacuum of the artist's head is an art. It's a journaling. It's therapy, right? I do not think this film is indulgent because I think if it was, it would land a lot different. It would come from a place of mere grievance, of proving to us that Bo has been wronged. Uh, we've all experienced autobiographical uh, works that are just grievance journals. They're just that refuse to admit any personal fault that are all about settling scores. Everyone was wrong. I was right all along. This film paints the mom as a monster in such a ridiculous, very funny, overblown way to show us how pathetic Bo is, how sad and sick and defeated and self-defeating he is. And as soon as it becomes clear that this is autobiographical on Ari Aster's part, it becomes clear that it's not really indulgent. It's almost the opposite. It's masochistic. Mm -hmm. It's this extended exercise in cinematic self-flagellation. I found that, well, I was going to say I found that frustrating, but you can't say that about this movie because the movie's just going to turn right around and kind of uh, wipe its hands and go, mission accomplished, you know, like that's <laughs> that's what I set out to do. Yeah. But there is, and to Rihanna's point, there is a big flaw at the center of this movie. And I think his identification with Bo caused him to underwrite who Bo is. Mm. I think he did it intentionally. I think it's a strategy. Mm. But in his mind, Bo is not a person. He's not a character. He is 
everything Ari Aster hates about himself. Mm -hmm. He is passivity mm. itself. This would become misery porn if A, it wasn't so funny, and B, if Bo actually was a, a character. Because when, when Phoenix is in that bodega and he sees those people streaming into his building and he's saying, oh, no, oh no, oh no, <laughs> it's funny because he's not a person. <laughs> he's just this construct on whom all the bad things happen. And that means I never felt invested. I never felt moved. Mm -hmm. He is a cipher. And, you know, hiring Joaquin Phoenix gets you around some of that, but not all of it. <laughs> but I'm glad it was so funny because I found it very funny. He's done that performance a lot better in the movie Inherent Vice. Yeah, mm -hmm. right. Absolutely. Where a lot of things are happening to a guy who is in mm -hmm. disbelief. Yeah, I found Joaquin Phoenix to just be doing what you hire Joaquin Phoenix to do and not going beyond that. It feels like Ari Aster working through some deep, deep trauma and insecurity and anxiety in three hours. And maybe the reason that it's three hours long is because when you are working through your own trauma and anxiety, you don't want to let anything go. Everything is important because it's how I feel. <laughs> I also want to mention the original title for the movie, Disappointment Boulevard, which okay. I think sums up the movie a lot better than Bo is Afraid does yeah. because framing it under that title, Disappointment Boulevard, kind of sets it up for the more comedic elements and you're kind of following Bo along his journey. And I feel like Bo is Afraid is supposed to intentionally kind of dissuade you from, you know, looking deeper into the plot. But I do think that it trivializes some of the themes in the title because it really just boils it down to, oh, this guy has anxiety. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> and... I, I like the other title better, is what I'm going to say. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, this movie is funny and frustrating. Okay. <laughs> we want to know what you think about Bo is Afraid. I'm sure you think of something. Find us at Facebook.com slash PCHH. And that brings us to the end of our show. Mallory Yu, Denny Hensel, Rihanna Cruz, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for talking this out. Thank you. Thank you for having me. We want to take a moment to thank our Pop Culture Happy Hour Plus subscribers. We appreciate you so much for showing your support for NPR. If you haven't signed up yet, you want to show your support and listen to the show without any sponsor breaks, head over to plus.com npr.org slash happy hour or visit the link in our show notes. This episode was produced by Candice Lim and edited by Mike Katzif. Our supervising producer is Jessica Reedy and Alokamin provides our theme music. Thank you for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. I'm Glenn Weldon and we'll see you all tomorrow. The Bullseye Podcast is, according to one journalist, the quote, kind of show people listen to in a more perfect world. So make your world more perfect. Every week, Bullseye puts the pop in culture, interviewing brilliant authors, musicians, actors, and novelists to keep you on your pop culture target. Listen to the Bullseye podcast, only from NPR and Maximum Fun. Feel like the world is on fire? Shortwave is your antidote. We find joy and beauty in the science of the planet we live on. How people are taking action in the face of climate change, the many weird and wonderful ways animals have adapted to a changing world in the past and present, and how technology is pushing us forward. Listen now to the Shortwave Podcast from NPR. Here at Planet Money, we bring complex economic ideas down to earth. We find weird, fun, interesting stories that explain the way money shapes our lives. Inflation, recessions, the price of gas, we've got you. Listen now to the Planet Money podcast from NPR.